dead air! My mic burned. My hearts pounded desperately. My mind was shutting down from a lack of banter. As I faded out, a deadly weariness took the place of terror. Welcome to Fandalites, the weekly podcast where myself and Jenna read and discuss the Animorphs books in order. This week we are talking about the Andalite Chronicles Book 3, An Alien Dies. Now, last book's cliffhanger is resolved by Elfangor and Lauren managing to turn on the ship's emergency air supply. Esplin proposes they work together to retrieve the time matrix from outside the ship, as otherwise they all get crushed to death by a black hole. Elfangor returns to the ship with the time matrix. Uh, apparently the Living asteroids took off, and he, the Visser, and Lauren proceed to wrestle each other for control of it. Chapman remains unconscious. Their struggle ends up causing the Time Matrix to create a pocket dimension stitched together from their memories of Earth, Andalon, and Yerkuri, like Battleworld in Marvel's 2015 Secret Wars event, but with less Victor Von Doom. They discover that the Time Matrix is in a vortex at the center of this reality, and that as they approach it, their aging speeds up until they're... legal? Not feeling able to return... To the Andalite homeworld after his experiences, Elfangor tells Lauren to use the Time Matrix to take them back in time to right after she was originally abducted, but to make sure not to de-age herself under 18. On Earth, Elfangor performs the Froless maneuver, becomes a human Nothlet, takes the name Alan Fangor, inspires both Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, and then marries Lauren. As soon as she was ready by human standards and not a second sooner, okay? After a few years, he's visited by an Elemist that reveals that both Chapman and Visser 3 survived for some reason, and that, oops, turns out that's not great for the galaxy at large, so the Elemist successfully pitches Elfingor on mind-wiping his wife and becoming a deadbeat dad for the good of the universe. I am not 100% clear on the sequence of events in this revised timeline. The book ends in the construction site where the first book began, with Elfingor asking Tobias about his mom, and then getting eaten by Visser 3. I'm glad you brought up the fact that he does get eaten. <laughs> I was I had forgotten about that for a little bit, and then nearing the end of this book, I was like, "Oh right, you'll be back here, huh?" Yeah, that was Visser Three's first good get in terms of Vor in these books. Yeah, and maybe his only because he hasn't done a great Vor job after. I feel like he definitely did swallow someone else at some point. I I remember uh, we commented on it. We upped the the drive-in totals or something. <laughs> that does feel extremely likely. Yes, but also the. It, it's, it's implied that the Time Matrix is in that construction site, right? Yeah, it's buried like underneath buried it. Buried into the ground. Do you think that shows up in the mainstream of the series ever? Nah, in my experience, when you have a gun on the mantelpiece in the first act, you never see it again. <laughs> Thank you, Brent. Okay, that's fair. I mean, it's a big, but it's big. Like, the Time Matrix is, like, big. It's like a big egg. Like, why did the Elemists make it at all? Yeah, and why did they make it giant? Because that doesn't seem necessary. And what purpose does it serve for them? Why a lot of the stuff in the last third of this book? <sighs> yeah, I don't... Where do we even want to start with that? Uh, Well, I guess my first note is that um, more canon than canon, the Yerk homeworld is now called Yerkuri. Yeah, which I like quite a lot. Welcome to Yerkuri. We've got holes with tongues in them. God. Oh, that's... Yeah. Uh, well, one of, my, one of my notes for this week was the tongue drew the beast towards its hole is a sentence that will for sure feature in my Animorph slash fic, but also a pretty good summary of these books as a whole, like the whole series, so... Yeah, the slow tongues, the slow, lazy tongues. Yeah. <laughs> actually that's a really good segue to talk about the fact that the, maybe the most important thing that we discover in this book which is that the andalites have orifices on their hooves because they can close them up and not eat stuff so that did come up i didn't read that as having orifices how okay but if you if you read the sentence i close my hooves that Im it implies an opening, and I think that implies an orifice. I I personally took it as more of a metaphorical closure. Oh. Like, 
there wasn't an actual physical hole that constricted, like a okay. like a hoof sphincter or like something. Like a sphincter, yeah. But more that Elfangor turned off his hooves absorption of whatever he's stomping on. Okay, counterpoint, is that the worst possible option? Is that the worst possible way of reading that? Because if it's not, then it's not right. Yeah, I guess that's true. It is less body <laughs> horror for them to not have just weird <laughs> mouths in their feet. Yeah, I think they probably just have four four little mouths on their hooves. And he, he says he closed his hooves. And I think there's only really one legitimate way to read that, and that's that they have mouth orifices on their hooves. Yeah, and they use them for grass, so I'm picturing something like sheep, where they've got just the real, the the grinding teeth inside it, and the, uh... Yeah. No, they say in previous books that they crush up the, the grass and absorb its nutrients. Well, I... No, okay, but here's an option. It's, it does have teeth, but they're on, like, the bottom. So, like, instead of, so it's kind of like a mortal and pestle. The hooves are teeth? Yeah, maybe. It's just one, the hoof is one big tooth. Oh my god, they've got tooth hooves with mouths on them. Yeah, it's like a beak. So instead of uh, the mouth being uh, uh, encapsulating of the teeth, the tooth encapsulates the mouth. Okay, I think I've figured out a way to square all of these different descriptions of how Andalites eat. Okay. Okay. There is an orifice, but it's more like a nictating membrane um, or an eyelid. Because okay. there's not a mouth in the hoof, there's a tongue. There's a tongue there <laughs> that just absorbs the stuff that gets crushed by the hoof. Okay. So the hoof crushes it, and then there's like this mucous membrane that just absorbs the good, good nutrients from it. I like that. Okay, so the hoof is basically one big tooth that's uh, in charge of grinding the food. Like a tooth with a bit of intestine in the middle. Yeah, and then, yeah, in the middle it has some sort of... Um, some sort of permeable membrane that it uses to absorb the mashed up goods. Yes. And but there, and there's some sort of mechanism, there's some sort of lid on which that those are able to close up. Yes. And the real interesting part about this, I feel, is that Elfengor has to trim his hooves in the aging <laughs> section. It implies that if you're an Andalite, your hooves can get long enough that you can't eat anymore. Do you think that's yeah. how old Andalites die? Well, they but they have liquefied grass. Oh, that's for true. For sick and elderly Andalites. That's true. So. I've fed that same thing to my guinea pig before when she couldn't <laughs> uh, when she couldn't take solid food. Oh, that's adorable and sad. Oh, she survived. She's good now. Okay, that's good. How did you make? How did you liquefy it? Did it? Did you buy it liquefied? Oh, they did you it's just smoothie it. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's not technically grass. It's it's hay. Oh. It's like alfalfa and high calorie hay stuff and it's all just sort of powdered and you add water uh, and mix it up and then suck it into a big syringe like a needleless syringe and then you have to syringe feed them uh, and they do not like it and they spit a lot of it out and it takes forever but uh, Mm. if you keep it up then they will not starve to death while they get better good (laughs) good that's good i'm see i'm picturing like an elderly long in the hoof Andalite, like on their back with their four hooves sticking out, getting like a dribble. Like they're just like pouring the liquefied grass into their membranes. Ah. It's pretty, pretty cute, actually. You get some belly rubs while you're down there. Like the <laughs> the Andalite equivalent of tube feeding involves little like rubbery things that fit over the hoof and have tubes that squirt the yeah. the, the liquefied grass at the yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Gross. Yep. I mean, Elfangor is as grossed out, apparently, about what humans eat, because McDonald's gets a send-up in this book. You know, that just makes me more concerned about Axe, since he apparently doesn't close his hooves ever. Mm, no, he chooses to stomp on the worms. That's, you know, I'd forgotten about that, but that's true. He's like, I can't go running because I can't stomp on worms the protein will make me not be able to sleep but if you have the choice mm-hmm. axe you dirty boy <laughs> yeah that's i mean and we previously established that andalites like eat by surrounding and gang stomping a chicken to death so yeah i, yeah. I don't so, think he's got any room to talk about a big mac yeah no joke he seems to be chill with the french fries i have to assume it's the the big mac that he finds upsetting Honestly, he probably doesn't know the difference between the French fries and cigarettes. <laughs> That's true. He does describe them similarly. 
speaking of horrifying, let's talk about the McDonald's worker. Oh, man. Pimple eyes. <laughs> it, Brent. Uh-huh. It was it was bad to read. This it is, was a bad one to read. This is a new kind of body horror for K.A. Applegate, I think. This is one that we haven't really seen before. No, no. Normally it's like animal bits where there shouldn't be animal bits. But this one is just this poor McDonald's worker who has acne so bad, Lauren literally creates him into existence with pimple eyes. Yeah, pimple face, like a Cenobite. Oh, the worst Cenobite. The saddest Cenobite. And this, honestly, this type of, of body horror seems more Junji Ito-esque than, than oh, Applegate-esque. God. There is a specific... Have you read the Junji Ito story about the grease? Uh, I've seen that panel posted repeatedly yeah. on Facebook, which made me uh, not want to read that particular Junji Ito story. That's a good call. It's one of the worst ones in terms of sheer horror it'll stick with you but you probably don't want it to it's a good choice to not read it anyway i I swear though that i made the note on that before axe realized that the entire battle world is an uzumaki it's a yes a big old spiral i yeah i did not pick up on that at all which i'm ashamed of i was so entranced by everything else that was happening in the spiral i really want to see a junji ito reimagining of animorphs Oh, like a that would morphs. be so Junji Morphs. That would be so fucking good, Brent. Yeah. Junji Morphs. I mean, it's right there. It would be so easy. But it's steering away from the horror for a moment, because we'll get back to different kinds of horror later. Oh, absolutely. I was really amused that the Andalite Society is like cottage industry. I just think it's delightful that... Everybody, like, each family has a different, very specific, like, smelting process. Like, you've got, you've got the, the one nuts and bolts mold. So you make all the nuts and bolts for the society. As enchanted as I am by the idea of Andalites having small family-run semiconductor plants, <laughs> I, I cannot imagine a situation where the family that assembles the completed starship is sourcing all of their parts off of Andalite Etsy. Andaletsy. <laughs> Andaletsy's very good, though. I I really apologize for all of the portmanteaus in this episode. It's, it's a personal issue that I struggle with. <laughs> There's something... I mean, I just like the idea that K.A. was like... The Andalites are a little bit utopian, so... They had industrialization and cities, and they got tired of that because they're herd animals. <laughs> so they just they tore they tore down the parking lot and put up paradise. I mean, I like it. I, I really like it. I want to believe. I just <laughs> can't imagine how they construct such advanced technology without Star Trek replicators, essentially. And at that point, why even have anybody work at all? I, yeah, that's a good point. Especially since they're in like a war economy, it's. How do you increase production? I mean, other than having uh, more children, which you're allowed to, I guess, if you have an important enough job. But even then, that's not a very quick turnaround. Yeah, I'm from the Andalite family that refines the plutonium to weapons grade. It has been a busy season. My mom had to give birth to eight new sons. (laughs) None of them have the right amount of legs. (laughs) But uh, I did say, I, I, I do like this arc for the Andalite Society because it really gives me a better timeline for when the Andalites had to conceive of the new morph that they all inhabit now. There's a time in which they evolved away from pastures and lived in cities. And then at a certain point, they were like, no, we should be herd animals again. So they they gathered the DNA and they melded it all together uh, using the Froless Maneuver. Froless Maneuver. Using the Froless Maneuver, and then they got these Andalite movies. They gave her the old Froless Maneuver. Whoa. <laughs> Not until the later end of this book, Brent. Shit, you're right. <laughs> so, uh, I just, you know, I appreciate K.A. totally legitimizing our more canon than canon uh, assumptions about where the Andalite bodies came from. So the interesting thing, and this was pointed out to us by several people on Twitter, that it is established at some point that Nothlets cannot regain morphine powers from the Escafil device. When is that established? It must be later, because we have not picked up on that. It, it was pointed out to me that it is 
made explicit on Seropedia. I don't remember when they the person on Twitter said it was from. Hold on, I promised to give them the shout out. Uh, well, we did get an email about this. Since we're talking about Nothlets, we should go ahead and launch into Transmissions from Zero Space. Jenna, you want to read the email from our fan who has the theory about Tobias and Nothlets and morphine? Yes, uh, this comes from Eric Mendez. Thank you for the email. We really appreciate it. I'm going to skip the part where they say nice things about us and just get to their point. Um, I'll read read read, that on my own later. Yeah, I was going to say that can just be for us. Um, But Eric says, so I just passed episode 23 and you guys were discussing why Tobias doesn't just trap himself in his human morph and use the Escafil device to stay human. My theory is that as a morph, he can't require the power. I think acquire. It has already been established that you can't acquire DNA while in a morph, and Tobias would still be trapped in a morph, albeit albeit his human form. Because of this, he wouldn't be able to use the Escafil device because it would be a morphed human trying to acquire the power. That's my theory. Love the podcast. Thank you. That's actually a pretty good theory. I feel like, and I'm, I'm scrolling back to our Twitter notifications right now because I think somebody pointed out to us that that's actually the um, canon. Like, not the more canon than canon, but like <laughs> actually how things work. I don't know what the difference is, but that's a great point. I, and I guess it makes sense because even though Tobias as a red-tailed hawk morph has been able to acquire DNA, there's also some illamist fuckery that it, I, maybe hand-waving that away. I think I got confused because the cover of the interior cover of the Megamorphs number one has the Hawk Talon reaching for the Escafil device hmm. along with all their other hands. And for some reason, that just morphed into the <laughs> the Elemist giving him his morph powers back by bringing him back to touch the Escafil device. Hmm. Yeah, but that's not really what the Elemist does. Like he brings no. he brings Tobias back to get his own DNA. But he just uses his bullshit Elemist powers to give the the power back. So I think that's a sound. That's a pretty sound theory. I think I don't have a better one, and the books haven't explained it yet, which seems also like its own kind of failure. Uh, so th- they might have, and we just like missed it. Does that sound like us, though, Brent? Do we miss things? Maybe. I mean, usually we don't miss things that are very upsetting or dumb. <laughs> That's true. Things that are legitimate, important canon, we do skip over more. <laughs> we may have a tendency, yes, exactly, exactly that. <laughs> okay, so uh, I don't know that the I don't know that the actual reason is that theory, although it sounds extremely plausible. But Mark Jansen and I of Chaos on Twitter pointed out to us that it is established that Nothlets can't regain morphine from the Escafil device. That's straight from ka and it is actually on seropedia um i missed it because it's difficult for me to check seropedia uh as thoroughly as i'd like to without coming to spoilers so that's why tobias doesn't just not human nothlet and get morphine back well okay but here's my question is that so that's in it's in the book somewhere but is it has it been in the books yet because if we've gone how, however many books since Tobias got the power to morph back and that hasn't been clarified, that's a failure in editing. You know, it might have been, but if the Andalite Chronicles were so important to understanding the Tobias parentage reveal books, I feel like they should have had a number in the series before that. Mm. So e- editing, I think, is going to be one of our complaints. <laughs> yeah, especially here here on out when there's a ghostwriter and K.A. is maybe not monitoring things as closely, she said. I sort of assume from here on out we're going to have a lot more like details like that that kind of fall through the cracks. Possibly. Although, I feel like this book has plenty of them. Yeah. Actually, to segue, not at all nicely because I lost the moment, but the just to remind everybody, you can't acquire DNA when you're in a morph. So that raises a really important question about how Elfangor got a bunch of human DNA to make a a new body out of. Can I sidebar for a second? Yeah, you know I love when you sidebar, Brent. (laughs) All right. So previously when we talked about the Andalites designing their base form, we, I think, talked about them getting stuck between two morphs and then reacquiring morphine power and then doing another thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that our wonderful fans 
have made it clear to us that this is not how things work. But the Andalite Chronicles helpfully reminded us of the Frolis maneuver, hmm. which I think is now our more canon than canon explanation Absolutely. for how the Andalites designed their form. They just mixed it internally like a Taoist alchemy. <laughs> exactly. This is our evolving, our living more canon than canon. This is definitely the Frolis maneuver. All right, sorry, and sidebar. No, to sidebar off that sidebar, I bet Frolis yes. was the Andalite who was like, we should return to our Andalite ways. Let's mix up a weird cocktail, some some weird science of DNA, and then become herd animals again. And that Andalite's name was Frolis. Every time I read the name Frolis or the word Frolis, it makes me think of Frohickey from The Lone Gunman, the X-Files spinoff. Oh, Jesus, God. I mean, talk about nostalgia. Hey, as long as you're going back through like 90s, early 2000s television shows and uh, live tweeting them, you could do worse than the one <laughs> season of The Lone Gunman. Would I, do you think I'd have to do X-Files first? Because I actually like the idea of watching The Lone Gunman without revisiting the X-Files. I recall liking The Lone Gunman a lot better than The X-Files and not having actually like watched the last few seasons before it spun off. Yeah. So I would say just fucking go for it. See how it stands on its own. Maybe you'll find out why it was canceled after one season. Did you like The Lone Gunman because you saw something of yourself in them? I'm not going to discount that as a possibility, but mostly I like that they were three weird shutting conspiracy nerds that suddenly found themselves stuck in a real conspiracy <laughs> and didn't really know how to deal with that. <laughs> that is a pretty good premise. And just tried as hard as they could. <laughs> but yes, the fact that they were real nerdlingers did not hurt my appreciation for the characters. Also, I feel like at that point, The X-Files was very much up its own ass with its meta plot. Yeah, I got less interested when Scully got knocked up by aliens, because that's such a weird bullshit trope. I well, The more episodes that were about the black oil aliens and things around them, the less I cared. Yeah, I just want giant killer crocs. That's what I'm here for, X-Files. Man, that, that one with, like, the leech man? Yes! The fucking classic. So good. God, X-Files. Okay, into sidebar. How did Elfangor... <laughs> How did Elfangor get the fucking human DNA, Brent? Yeah, because he says that he managed to come into contact with several humans on Earth. Right? As an Andalite, presumably, since you can't acquire anyone in Morph. Yeah, there's, How? I've got two, two options for you, Brent. Uh-huh. The first is a pretty dark series of kidnappings that Lauren commits in order to satisfy her alien lover. Okay. So it's just her her knocking out a lot of people in parking lots and then dragging him back home. Elfinger acquires them and then she dumps the body, whether it wakes up or not, you know, in the woods somewhere. Okay, that's that's the grim and gritty 2018 Netflix series reboot. <laughs> What's your other theory? The more 90s-tastic one is that Elfinger just was under some bleachers at like a sporting event someday and just acquired the DNA off like eight people's ankles and then just morphed it that way. I can see that. That actually makes more sense than what I was imagining, which was uh, them both donning lab coats and sneaking into a hospital and then acquiring coma patients because he's wearing a lab coat so nobody can tell that he's an Andalite, right? And And the coma patients won't notice him being an Andalite because they're... In a coma. I really like, I like that coma angle, actually. It, that's the right middle ground. I think that that sounds more like a, like a plan that the Animorphs would come up with, <laughs> so I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I mean, Elvangor is the father of one of the Animorphs, and was always destined to be, I guess. I don't know how that worked. I mean, I suppose Under the Bleachers makes more sense since Lauren plays softball, although she's well, too old to be on her yeah. high school softball team now. Yeah, she played. Although none of her friends are because she aged to be uh, legal and ready and nubile. And uh, everybody that she knows is still like 13. So that's not strange. Is it time to talk about this, Brent? Fuck, I don't think we can put it off any longer, man. I, yeah, we've been circling around the issue much like a spiral in which a time vortex is at the center of. Uzumaki. Uzumaki. Um, this is pretty fucked up okay i thank you for confirming it because i was not sure when i read it the first time i was like that's a real specific age yeah and they mention it like twice which was weird yes yes and then instead of saying well just have the time matrix put us back like we were 
Elfangor says, just have everybody think that it's normal that you're 18. Which is bonkers. How is that the option? Like, all, literally all of her friends are like 13. It's so fucked up. Okay, let, I want to walk through this whole, the whole time Bortarek scene. Because there's like eight moments where I want to stop and talk about how fucked up it was. So first of all, their hair and fingernails are growing super fast. And at one point, Lauren's finger sorry, toenails, burst through her sneaker and become these weird little claws. That was unpleasant. It's a great visual, but sounds painful. It's, it's like the, that picture in the Guinness book of the longest nails. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing. They get all twisty, curly. Exactly, Uzumaki, Brent. They curl up and it's like, and she's got like super long hair. Oh, it's Uzumaki all the way down. It's, <laughs> it's bad. It's a bad one. It's a bad one, Brent. It's an nth dimensional spiral, so it's it's... Literally like a fractal of Uzumaki. Yes. And there's a point in this where Lauren is like, I can feel myself getting older because, and then she like cuts off and doesn't explain why. It's because she just went through puberty. It's because she just went through sped up puberty. Because she was like, it's established at the end of this book that she was about the Animorphs age when she went into the time spiral. So about 12, 13 and by the end of it, she's 18. Let me remind you again, 18. Perfectly legal. Specifically. Yes. Specifically 18. 18, exactly. Day after her 18th birthday. She is barely legal. Mm. And there's also a point, actually, when she was, when she cut herself off, my first instinct was like, wow, Lauren, did you f- just get your period? Is that how you know you're an, uh, going through time? And then I had to stop and think through that. And what made me think that that was what happened to her. And what I think it actually is, is that she grew boobs. And that's it. I mean, so let's be real, though. I feel like Elfangor would have made some clueless alien comment about (laughs) uh, the sudden change in appearance of either her growing breasts or her jeans suddenly becoming soaked with like five <laughs> years of periods. Oh man, Lauren, we've all been there. I feel, like, <laughs> I feel you girl. Feel you. It, it is also weird that we don't get any sort of aging from Alfangor other than his, his hooves need trimming. Well, so he says that he's changed too. How? Yeah, I guess they they weren't very specific how. I think, have we established previously that Andalites live somewhat longer than humans? I think so. I think they're supposed to live a little bit longer. But we we also, we know that he's an Aerith? Aerith. 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 It's a cadet. Yeah, we know he's a youngling, but we don't know how relatively youngling. Uh, But... We also don't know, I guess, what the gestation for Andalites is. So they're, I mean, Andalite puberty might not be like a thing. Right. Who knows, like, if they have distinct stages of... Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not like they have torsos, so they don't have places for mammalian breasts to grow there anyway. Well, presumably they have teats on their undercarriage. Yeah, I assume they have some sort of udder, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> This is what the books have led us, have led us to. My God. Okay, so the last two episodes, I've wanted to make jokes about Lauren being Elfangor's child bride, mm-hmm. and like didn't because they've been portrayed as being roughly the same age in terms of like maturity, yeah, relative to their species, yeah. So I really don't understand what the rapid aging here is for. So I had a similar. Confusion, because again, they said she was 18, and I'm like, that's specific. And then they said it again, and I'm like, that's specific. Mm -hmm. And then I, and then it was like, yeah, and then they waited, you know, a couple years, decade, you know, until they were, until she was ready to get married. And I'm like, okay. Three years. Did it specify three years? So they were already married when the three years later chapter happened. So they didn't even wait that long. Good call. So. It it seemed it seemed real unnecessary. Like I I can sort of and I know someone's gonna bring this up uh, in in reaction to this episode that in order for the timeline to match up and for Tobias to be the age that he is when he gets the cube in the late nineties that they 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 have to have had him sometime in the mid eighties or early to mid eighties. But here's the thing: like, hey, Applegate controls all of this timeline. Yeah. 
she could have set the Hork-Bajir Chronicles earlier than the 70s. Yeah, or Lauren could have been older at the beginning of this uh-huh. book. Like That would have been fine, too. Yeah, you know what? All of there's There are so many ways that could have been dealt with that did not involve... Lauren suddenly being five years older and having to return to her 12-year-old life. Because that's that's so whack. Because you, at the time Matrix is uh, the deus ex machina in the most literal way possible. Like, they go back in time and they can choose where in time they're going. And it has all sorts of weird-ass time powers. Why couldn't they just not be 18? Yo, Here's the even weirder part is that I don't think she did go back to her 12-year-old life, 13-year-old life as an 18-year-old. Yeah? I'm pretty sure cuz you you don't let your uh high school daughter marry some stranger while they're still in high school, right? I mean, I don't, but this is Southern California, not West Virginia. <laughs> God, I'm sorry West Virginia listener, why, listeners, I friends? I dunk on you a lot. I don't know why. Um, yeah. Brent. Yeah. So I her s- parents know she's 18. Everybody thinks it's normal that she's 18. So either nobody thinks very hard about the fact that she has been repeating the same grade for years and years and years. Or there's like a f- five-year blank spot in their memory. Uh-huh. Her parents never try to figure out her birthday because that would be weird for them in terms of their age, I guess. No, I'm I'm pretty sure she came back and was 18 and just became an adult, but with a 13-year-old's mind. So that's also very upsetting to me. That's uh-huh. And also, so she just didn't go to high school, I guess. Yeah. Like, she just, she just didn't. And I guess that's cool for Alan Fangor, because he goes on to get, like, eight PhDs. In less than three years. Yeah, accelerated college education. They kind of gloss over where he gets the money for college or for anything. Oh, uh, well, this identity was... identity documents. You, you forget, this was the 80s, so you could pay for college with the change that you find in your couch. That doesn't sound correct. <laughs> I mean... Maybe. <laughs> the, the point being... It's just weird. Yeah. Hi, I'm Alan Fangor. I have eight PhDs. Here's my wife. We're the same age, but she didn't go to high school because time, time. It would almost be more upsetting if it was, hi, I'm Alan Fangor. I have three PhDs. Here's my wife. She's graduating from high school next week. We're the same age, though. It's it's cool, though. We're the same age. It's just... It's not cool. It's, it's not cool, Alan. It's really... It's just creepy that, like, Alan Fangor gets to go on and go to college and, and do all of that because his dumb species is, is farther advanced and they just go back to a time when Lauren, like, what life is there for her? Like, when he leaves, she's probably got nothing. She probably doesn't... Well, she does disappear. Yeah, I mean, there's probably a reason, because she gets abandoned by her husband, mm. who was probably the one supporting them with his eight PhDs. Yeah, and his money from inventing Windows and Mac OS. Fuck off, God damn it! I'm just... Elfengor did not get fucking credited in Pirates of Silicon Valley, that's all I'm goddamn saying. <laughs> that's such a weird, I really hate that, like, back to the future trope. Oh, it's it's fucking Eric the Chi all over again. Oh my god. And you know Alan Fanger talks about it back on the Andalite homeworld. Like, uh, yeah, no big deal. My friends Steve and Bill, they just went on to do some stuff. Yeah, fucking whatever. Whatever, Al Fangor. It's just, it is so, it's, I was really hoping at the end of this book to have a better appreciation for the Al, Alan Fangor is Tobias's father sort of arc, but it absolutely did not. All right, that sounds like a good opportunity to transition out of the why is this weird specific aging necessary and into how the revised timeline works. Yes, because it's established in the main series that Alan Fangor left a will. How and why? There's not really an opportunity for him to have done that in the end of this book. No, and it's also, like, how is Chapman back on Earth? I mean, the answer to all of these is going to be illimist bullshit, I guess. So I assume that that Krayak saved Visser 3. 
That was my assumption, because otherwise okay. the Elemists did it, and like, what the fuck, Elemists? No, I actually really like that. Like, the Elemists and Krayak had a convo, and they were all like, okay, we get to pick three people from this that have to go back into the normal timeline. Like, we have to choose our champions. And and Elemists is like, okay, I'll take Elfangor, and Krayak is like, okay, I'll take Chapman, and Elemists is like, really, him? Chapman? <laughs> well, so, I, I thought it... I thought the Elemist in this book straight up admitted that they saved Chapman. Yeah, I thought so too. That's why I was so confused. Well, I mean, they probably saved Chapman because it's kind of bullshit, even if they're like a tremendous dickhole, mm. to just let some teenager die in the middle of space when literally everyone else on the ship has been rescued. <laughs> That's true. That would be very shitty. I I'm picturing like the Elemists and Krayak are talking and the Elemists are like, so Lauren's already back on Earth. We all agree she can just stay there, right? That's where she was supposed to be in the first place. Krayak's like, who cares? She's a human. Who cares? Uh, choose your champion. I choose Visser 3. Right. <laughs> right. And then the Elemists are like, well, we choose Elfangor. I guess we'll save Chapman too, because like that's sort of shitty to leave him out there. And Krayak's like, you fucking softies. <laughs> this is why you're going to lose. <laughs> But Elemis specifically says that Chapman has a larger part to play. Like, this, there's, like, some weird predestination fate bullshit that happens at the very end. That's true. They may have saved him specifically because of where he ends up in relation to the Animorphs and mm. how his existence as a high-ranking controller under Visser 3 is what leads them initially to the Yerk Pool. Okay, yeah, I kind of like that. You're right. It's because of Chapman that they free Hecate, and that's why Chapman's important. Yes, Hecate is the unmentioned bright line in this, <laughs> the, the loom of fate. <laughs> okay, that does make that more... That makes that more acceptable. But no, what I really don't understand is how whatever the Elemist did fixed time, because what it seems like happened is... Everything in the books transpired exactly as written. Yes. Up until the point where the elements showed up and wagged their finger at Elfangor about breaking time, at which point everybody just sort of forgot the last five years. And Elfangor, in his current state, was moved into an Andalite fighter near a battle between Visser Three and the Star Sword. Well, I don't. <sighs> I mean, you make a you you put forth a good question because if that time has transpired. Because when Elfangor appears on a ship, everybody's like, "You've been missing for years. What happened?" So that time had to have it still happened. And the Elemist obviously didn't rewind or undo anything because Lauren's still pregnant with Elfangor's child. Yes, although I, although technically, since Elfangor is just a collection of other human DNA. It could just be any other child. Wibbly, wobbly, ribosomey, whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, we enough. already know that DNA is fast and loose in this series. Oh, the fastest and the loosest. <laughs> That's <laughs> the best porn parody name for a Fast and the Furious. Uh, uh, I mean, ugh, wow. Um, I forgot absolutely what I was saying because I stopped to think about what I was saying. and it. Your granny fucking, <sighs> not double dong taken like you should be. What? <laughs> Let's blow. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, Brent. I, the Fast and the Furious, Jenna. The point is, what the fuck happened at the end of this book? Yeah. Um, so it's... I don't understand how this fixed time, really. Because if they hadn't used the Time Matrix, which the Elemist gave Elfangor a lot of shit about. Yeah. Which, like, if you didn't want it used, why'd you make it, asshole? Right, and why didn't you stop it? You're supposed to be all pow- Anyway. God. Yeah, so it gave, a, gave Elfinger a lot of shit about using the time matrix, but if they hadn't, they would have just died in a black hole. Time isn't really fixed, it's just different. Yeah. History is different, it's more like the Elemist wants it to be. And presumably they agreed with Krayak on these, like, terms. So I get the feeling, based on how this book shakes out at the end, that, I mean, we, we get this sort of Elfinger's vision of what it's like to be an Elemist. And Elfangor sees Tobias's line and that Tobias is destined for greatness to be a part of the Animorphs and so on and so forth. So the fact that the Illumist is coming the day Elfangor is going to learn that Lauren is pregnant suggests to me that the Illumist waited five years just sort of dicking about omnipresently in order to wait for the moment where Lauren is pregnant and then 
then Alfangor can, can, then he can fix the timeline. Right, because the Elemis needed Tobias specifically. Yes. And they appeared to Elfangor before he found out because he wouldn't have agreed yeah. to go back and fix things if he knew that he was having a son. Yeah, and and, and abandoning a son. Yeah. How weird is it that Tobias did not tell the Ana- Animorphs that Elfangor asked about his mom? I feel like they had a lot going on there and yeah. he became a, a, a permanently forever really red tail hawkatized and loving it um <laughs> very very like days after so that's true that you're right it was a busy time yeah i feel like he that probably slipped his mind yeah so i just didn't it didn't it didn't pull the strings together as tauntly as i was hoping this book i i we were promised i think that uh, if we had read this first, we would have much more appreciated the Tobias Parentage Reveal book. I think we would have been less shocked at it, but I don't think we would have appreciated it anymore. I think, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I would still have the question about where the will came from. Because did the Illumis just make Elfangor a will? Because that wasn't mentioned at all in this book. Here's my theory on that, actually, because I know we, we're a little salty about how that's, like, there, but not there. Mm-hmm. This whole book is framed as Elfangor's transmission to his last transmission before death to his home planet, which yeah. there is a word for that he mentions that I don't remember. <sighs> Me neither. So he specifically purposefully omits the part of his conversation with the Elemist where he convinced the Elemist to let him leave that because he doesn't really want the Andalites to be able to track down his kid. Mm. Like, he understands that he has to go or the whole galaxy's lost, and he convinces the Elemis to let him, like, leave this so his kid knows that, like, he has greater things and he didn't want to leave, but he had to. But he doesn't want to tell the Andalites about that because then they can use that to figure out what lawyer he left it with and find this kid and then... I, I don't know. That's my guess. I think that's a sound guess, but why would he not want the Andalites to find Tobias? Because he knows what the Andalites are like, really, once you strip away the veneer of mm. civility. That's a, actually a really good point, because that is part of why the Illumist is like chill with him, because mm-hmm. he knows that the Illumist knows he wasn't willing to use the Time Matrix to solve all his problems. Yeah, like he... He hung around Alarin long enough to understand what um, some Andalites are like, and he was in the Andalite military long enough to understand that Alaran was allowed to continue hanging around, and everybody just made fun of him mm. instead of being prosecuted for war crimes. Mm. Jesus. Which doesn't say great things, really, about the Andalites. Yeah, the fact that the Andalites higher up definitely know about the quantum virus is... Mm-hmm. I mean, that changes how I feel about the Andalites, too, because that's some shit. Yeah, yeah. I did want to mention that we, we get to meet an Andalite talking tree. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They remind me a little of the Pequenino father trees from Speaker of the Dead, but without the stink of Orson Scott Card all over them. <laughs> At one point, Elfangor claims forgiveness like it's bankruptcy. <laughs> Like Mike Michael Scott claims bankruptcy. Yes. He just does the little thing and he's like, well, I'm forgiven now. Yep. What are you going to do? Uh, Visser 3 has pets. Let's talk about that. That's kind of weird. I mean, they're... Seems out of character, even if they're murder pets. Yeah, I was going to say they are murder pets, though. You don't think he'd have murder pets? Maybe if he could assign an underling to, like, train them, but then why would they listen to Visser 3? He doesn't seem like he cares enough to put in the like the time to care for and train them. I could see Visor 3 having the kind I could see him keeping like chickens so that he could grow to love something before stomping it to death underneath his andalite hooves. The only pet that I can see Visor 3 keeping is like a fluffy white cat exclusively <laughs> so that he can pet it as he turns around slowly in his seat and reveals his <laughs> evil plan. But he actually has one of his underlings, like Chapman, feeding it or whatever. Sure, it's a prop. There's probably a yerk in the cat's head. Oh, that's creepy. And they're in charge of Chapman and are like, go get my fucking fancy feast, you fool. That's very good, Brent. I actually like that a lot. Anyway, yeah, the Mortrons who have wheels. 
yeah. my planet was destroyed. And when I first read them, I really, really thought they were the cars from Cars. <laughs> Which would have been grand. It would have been great headcanon. But, that would have uh, been a great they, crossover. They sort of go into more description uh, later on and that, that, yeah, it's it's not. How about the fact that none of the aliens know what throwing is? That's okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> Andalites, all right, they're they're always described as having weak arms, so they yeah. probably don't use throwing as like, and they've got a natural weapon, right? right? It's not a ranged weapon. I guess maybe if their arms are too weak to throw stuff farther than reach their tail blade, they just don't really do it. Yeah, and it, it is well established that Elfangor is surprised every time Lauren does something with her upper body strength. Like, she climbs a tree and he's like, oh, wow, I can't believe you do that. Yeah, yeah. Although, like, who knows if the Andalite's arms are weak, like, comparatively, or just not strong enough to lift their massive, like, yeah, horse body. bodies. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, but the Yurks apparently haven't heard of throwing either, because Visser 3 <laughs> describes it as, like, propelling a rock at him. Yeah. <laughs> or something. And, like, you know, Visser... They have several species under them right now. Okay, well, hold on. Let's stop and talk about that, though, because do you think the Taxons have any stick and ball games? Because they've just got little needle arms. Probably not. Well, all right. Fair. Okay, the Hork-Bajir, they do have hands, but they're like talons. And I don't think things that are piercing are great for throwing. You don't think that the Hork-Bajir have ball games? I don't think they do. Okay. Because, I mean, what is baseball but a metaphor for war? And I'm not thinking about baseball. What, what are you thinking about? P- passing the rock? I don't know, like handball or soccer. Catch or, or anything. I don't think the hork do. No, I don't think they have competition because they're peaceful and, and loving, gentle tree folk. You know, there are ball games that don't involve competition necessarily. They're just fun throwing stuff I've around. I've never seen a baseball game that doesn't end in murder. Once again, baseball is not the only ball game. <laughs> I don't acknowledge that. From Southern Illinois, I don't acknowledge that. Right. Go Cardinals. <laughs> It just, I, I can see, I can see, uh, I can see the Yurks not having come into contact with an alien species that hasn't invented throwing. It, but it does seem weird that neither of them know about the idea of throwing. How is that not? How do you not pick something up, drop it, and say, "I wonder if I could do that on purpose"? <laughs> I'm, I'm just imagining. Like, I get that they stole their Drake on beam technology from Andalite shredders. But surely one of the species that they have conquered or run into at this point did not jump straight from melee weapons to laser beams with nothing in between. Right. I Yeah, that's a good point. I know Taxons have little needle arms, but they, they've got something going on that's enough to hold a Dracon beam. So presumably they could like have developed a sling or something. <laughs> I'm just picturing... Uh, taxons holding up a third ta- two taxons holding up a third taxon and using it like a slingshot oh that's amazing <laughs> oh that's so good that's so good <laughs> yeah maybe yeah maybe visitor 3 just hasn't seen somebody do that without using a taxon sling no it's just crazy how do they not know about throwing brent i don't know i ka goes to great lengths to portray an alien reacting to human stuff for the first time yeah to a fault yeah it gets to be a bit much in this book yeah i i do appreciate a lot of it though it does very firmly establish elfangor as an andalite who which is a completely separate species that does stuff differently Mm. you're right it does go on a little especially like right at the end when Alfangor has been Alan Fangor for like three or four or five years and is still like we moved into a hollow house which I learned is just called a house oh wow how weird it's like okay buddy we get it well remember at the time of this recording he has been living as Andalite again for several years that just makes it worse does it yes for me it does okay. for me it makes it worse that in his 
retrospective of the time that he was living on Earth, he's still like, let me tell you about these humans. They're so wacky. They've got upper body strength and they don't fall over all the time. I think we've established that Andalites just in general need that sort of thing explained (laughs) to them several times in detail with small words before they really get it. That's true. This is a bestseller. This is a bestselling Heractalest, which is what the term is that I looked up. Thank you for looking that up. Yeah, you're right. He's this is for the masses. He wants to make sure it's uh, easy for all of the Andalites to ingest. So he has to explain every little thing. That makes sense. Thanks for tuning in this week, everybody. This was the last book in the Andalite Chronicles. So we'll be on to book, I think, 27 is the next one. Book 27, The Exposed which I've read part of already and actually quite like, even though it's a ghostwritten one. Yeah, I read it and I actually also really enjoyed it. So I look forward to talking to you about that and recording it for the amusement of others. (laughs) That is a very Andalite like description of what we do here on Fandalites. So good, good get, I guess, way to be in character. Um, If you've got questions or comments or stuff that you want to talk to us about, hit us up on at Fandalites on Twitter, fandalites.tumblr.com, fandalites at gmail.com. We try to read all of the direct messages that we get that have like a question to answer on the show here. So we will do that unless you ask us not to. And we really appreciate all of the comments y'all have been sending over. It's just, it's nice. It's nice to know that somebody is enjoying the sounds we make with our mouths. Yes, our angry mouth sounds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I guess last thing to note, uh, since we made such a big deal out of it last episode, I do want to clarify that K.A. Applegate did comment that there are no plans at this time for the Taxon Chronicles, so... Feel free to keep that hashtag going, get it trending, but but please don't tag her. She already answered. Yeah, yeah. We we just have to wait until we're powerful and rich enough to buy Scholastic and then yes. commission. Then we can her pay her it. to do it. Yeah, that's the dream, Brent. That's the long con here. <sighs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, hope to see you again next week. Thanks to Dust Nodell for the use of his theme music for our intro and outro. You can find more of his stuff at dustnodell.bandcamp.com. dustnodell.bandcamp.com. Uh, and he's on Twitter at Dustin of CYT. So thanks for listening, guys. Hope to hear from you again. Be in your ear holes again next week. <laughs> Friend. Yeah, well, I didn't mean it like that. Uh, and until next time, remember, nostalgia is a drug. <laughs> <laughs>